Welcome back, folks. This is Shane LeMaster coming at you for another episode of Conversations with the Mind. You are in the right place, I assure you. If you weren't, you wouldn't have clicked on it anyway. So if you clicked on this show by accident, don't worry. You won't be uh, you won't be disappointed. This is an award-winning episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we get on with our bad selves. So welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Please like and share the podcast on all social media when you see it and go share it with your folks. Let's spread this conversation as far and as wide as we possibly can. Um, feel free to donate to the show if you find it valuable. There should be a link at whatever um, podcast app you're listening on and don't forget to go support our youtube page that's the mind ops youtube page m-i-n-d hyphen o-p-s make sure you get that hyphen in there folks or else uh you're gonna be i don't know taken somewhere else that you don't want to be but you're here now so let's get into it
All right, our good news story comes today from the goodnewsnetwork.org, and the title of the article reads, U.S. Cancer Rates Continue Decline with Largest Ever Single-Year Drop in Cancer Mortality. Wow, that's a mouthful, but uh, some pretty amazing stuff. I, I guess, uh, you know, a lot of, we've made a lot of headway when it comes to treatment of cancers and, um, you know, terminal illnesses and disease and all sorts of things. We made a lot of technological progress, things that I'm not always, um, I don't always have my finger on the button um, because I think the number one greatest uh, preventative, you know, form of uh, healthcare is exercise and diet. And I try and do a good job with that. Um, not just with what I consume, but uh, consume, you know, orally like with food and drink but also what I consume in my mind and uh, consume in my ears and my eyes and what I choose to pay attention to um, I feel like all that stuff is digested and can manifest into disease if it's not good things so um, this article in particular was really interesting to me because it has a little spin on it and talks, you know, talks about all the positive things that are happening um, as far as cancer rates dropping so we truly are in um, a world of new and improving medical technologies. That's awesome. And they go through, in the article, you guys should go check it out. They, uh, they go over lots of different uh, statistics uh, for different cancers and different cancer rates. And they tell you, you know, how much this one has dropped, how much this one has dropped, what they think the causes are. Um, you know, and they take data going all the way back to the 70s and compare it to recent data. So um, it's fairly comprehensive um, as far as like having an effect within our, I don't know, our immediate and surrounding generational influencers or epigenetics, uh, however you want to put it. Okay, so pretty cool. Um, I'm always... Um, stoked to hear that we're getting better at treating illnesses. But again, guys, we need to be, uh, we all need to take it as a personal responsibility to do better for ourselves and feed ourselves good, uh, good things, good news, good nutrition, good, uh, food, good drinks, good people, you know, surround yourself with that kind of thing. All right. So the conversation with my mind and, uh, this has sort of been spurred by a couple of different passages um, in some different readings. And so I'm just going to read you guys the passages. And, um, you know, these things have been kind of unfolding for me for a while now. But every time I read passages such as these, I, they just get my mind working in new and different ways. So the um, first one reads, Self is everywhere, shining forth from all beings, vaster than the vast, Subtler than the most subtle, unreachable, yet nearer than breath, than heartbeat. I cannot see it, ear cannot hear, nor the tongue utter it. Only in deep absorption can the mind, grown pure and silent, merge with the formless truth. He who finds it is free. He has found himself. He has solved the great riddle. His heart forever is at peace. Whole, he enters the whole. His personal self returns to its radiant, intimate, deathless source. As rivers lose name and form when they disappear into the sea, the sage leaves behind all traces when he disappears into the light. 
Perceiving the truth, he becomes the truth. He passes beyond all suffering, beyond death. All the knots of his heart are are loosed. I really like that passage. It just gets me thinking about my own path um, in this life and um, how I believe it's largely a spiritual path. And um, that passage in particular sort of helps me put things into perspective and tells me that um, I guess my enlightenment or awakening is, um, you know, it's, it's right there for me if I want, if I want it, you know, if I want to put forth the effort. So I like that, that one a lot. Um, so I'm going to read you guys one more and then we'll get into the show. All right, here we go. So this passage reads, with increasing perspective, we see that all of our ego identities, models, and self-images can be useful, but need not be entrapping. We may gain this perspective very slowly, but the direction is clear. As we lighten our attachment to self-image, we find a different vantage point from which to observe who we are. It's as if you lived in a little town, and you go up to a mountaintop, and looking down, you see how you move about in the course of an ordinary day. You see your route to work, how you go shopping, the main thoroughfares, your shortcuts, your daily routines. You're seeing all that from up there. Then you return to the village. But now, when you're moved, or when you're moving around town thereafter, there's a part of you that always recalls the perspective from above. As you go throughout the day, you, you're still watching it all from up there. I really liked that um, because one of the particular meditations that I particularly enjoy is observer perspective meditation, you know, where you just kind of hang out like a fly on the wall of your mind and, and just let things happen as they naturally will. And um, I don't know, you can take that practice that you have in that inner space once you become comfortable with it and start applying it to um, outer space or what, what sorts of things happen in your everyday life. Um, so meditation for me really is a training ground like that. And I really like that passage. It, it reminds me of how important that practice is for me. So that's been the conversation with my mind recently. Our guest today, awesome guest. Uh, he's been on the show before and, uh, we welcome him back. Dr. Rob Colbert. Um, really good friend of ours here at the show and um yeah go back and listen to to the show he was on before i forget which number it was officially um i should probably look that up anyway he has a phd um recently and um but he has been uh, an agent of social change for a long time um he is you know he's a community organizer he's a friend um and uh yeah i don't know how else to describe rob except for us to just get right into it if you guys want maybe a um a better introduction or description of rob go check out the first podcast with him and uh go check out his website uh the noaxsociety.org um it's really an amazing organization uh that is just pumping out great information all the time um in this podcast guys we get into a lot of different cool, um, deep topics. And I really hope Rob and I do them justice. I know that sometimes, you know, I feel like we don't have enough time on the show to get as deep as we could into some of these things, but 
um, we really had fun pa- unpacking a lot of deep concepts and, um, you know, with hopefully a little bit of humor and hopefully a little bit of lightheartedness because if we take ourselves too seriously in this thing, we might, um, we might cause ourselves some un- undue suffering, okay? Because we're not getting out of this thing alive. None of us are. So thank you, Rob, for being on the show and uh, hope you folks enjoy it. Here's episode 66. conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane LaMaster, and we're here for episode number 66 with very special guest, Dr. Rob Colbert. How are you, sir? Doing well, Shane. How are you? I'm great. It's been a, a nice mellow day. Um, and Rob has been on the show before, um, so this will be your second time back. And um, we're going to start repeating more guests because the conversation continues, I think, with everybody. So that being said, uh, I want to ask you you know, the same question I ask everybody. What does conversations with the mind mean to you? And you've already answered this once, so... Maybe how has it changed, or maybe just express your your thoughts on it, like in this present moment, and we can go back and compare the two or something. But yeah, what does that phrase yeah. mean to you now? Yeah. Um, I think what's more alive for me now is uh, conversations with a mind, thinking of mind as a collective, and that piece that uh, you know, um, as you were saying, like, oh, you're, you're you're back here again on the podcast. I was like, oh yeah, that's what makes it a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just kind of a one-time statement. Um, but yeah, so um, holding this larger piece of uh, how you know humans' language basically is us trying to f the ineffable, right? And so we're always trying to uh, take the formless and turn it into form through language. And so I think that that is interesting because that evolves as like what we express is only part of what that collective mind is. So what we, what we, what we can express in language. Um, so then there's this unseen part too. And I think that right now in this time as humans, uh, it's important for us to remember that piece of the unseen and, um, the unseen parts of mind and actually to, to really value them. I think that, you know, um, some of the conflict and things that are going on across the planet, uh, we're, we're uh, diluting our true potential as humans because we're not honoring that unseen piece. And in honoring doesn't mean we have to believe the same or, you know, go towards the same ideas, have the same, you know, values or any of that, but to just value the human lives behind making those values. Hmm. So for maybe some of the listeners out there that, you know, they hear what you just said and they're like, what does the unseen mind mean? Like, isn't all my mind seen? Like, what do you, 
can you give some specific examples uh, for the audience of what like the unseen mind could manifest as? Okay. Uh, for me, so I work, uh, you know, uh, when I work with clients, I kind of, uh, I start from a view of neuro-linguistic programming, basically kind of just boiling it down to learning styles and that people um, filter information from the world certain ways. And so certain ways on the intake, you know, and then certain ways that they deliver it. It's also filtered through, you know, whether they're a visual, um, auditory person, kinetic, you know, like um, getting the body in there, somatic experiencing, stuff like that. So um, that's the unseen, right? Those are the unseen parts of the mind. And the translation is, um, yeah, what we attempt to. Um, to deliver like for me i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a visual person so when i'm uh taking in information or something i i, I build pictures of how it's or, or stories uh pictures of stories of what these things look like and then in order to deliver them i have to you know then it's a translation because if you know someone's a visual person it's really easy and i say oh hey i see this and they're like oh i see that too otherwise um, if I pay attention to it, if someone's more of an auditory learner, then it's like, oh, I have to deliver it in ways that are dialogue or, you know, my more of a, yeah, linear expression through words or something like that. Is that making sense? Yeah, totally. I saw um, recently, it was some YouTube video on consciousness, but pretty well produced. I don't know the name of it, but they um, interviewed this young woman who holds like 23 world records for the most sequential numbers memorized uh. and um she was describing how she is able to do that and it's some absurd n number like 700 digits or something like that and she says she creates a visual story based on something that she's familiar with so like her walk home from work and then she'll take that that story that's sort of ingrained in her mind and then she'll imagine it uh on the way back and she'll assign a number to different landmarks on the way to her house and like come up with this story, this story in her mind of like, you know, Oh, I saw, you know, two light posts at this intersection and, uh, that made me turn left and that'll be like integrated into her story so that when she's recalling the numbers, she's actually just recalling the visual story that she told herself. Yeah. I think that's pretty pretty uh pretty amazing yeah that the body can or that the yeah um well the story aspect uh-huh uh-huh yeah no i'm reminded of like uh synesthesia or people that experience mm -hmm. uh you know um it's a cross of <clears throat> how we normally um take in the world so it's like a cross on the filters but um tasting numbers or uh having different things like that seeing sounds uh-huh uh-huh mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, that's something that's been coming up recently. We were talking the other day, too, about bisociation. It's this idea of, because, um, like, uh, the intersection of two ideas that generates a new idea. Uh, as we were just talking through this, there's a piece of, you know, the unseen and the seen. And I'm related, uh, or relating it to the, the, the particle wave duality, right? And so... Um, Maybe the unseen is, the, you know, the pure, pure potential wave existence and the particle is the scene or, you know, like, mm -hmm. so, yeah, now I'm 
Well, the particle the becomes way. seen by the the observer too. You know, um, right. I think those uh, split split uh, particle experiments showed that. Something else I've been interested in talking to you about is, um, and related to this bisociation um, intersection we were talking about earlier, but uh, so conversations with the mind, like having conversations, my mind, having a conversation with your mind, mm-hmm. um, but the potential to have one mind under the influence of an altered state of some sort, having a conversation with another mind under the influence of an altered state, right? And then the unseen that is revealed, perhaps because of this, uh, because of the change in frequency and brainwaves and, and um, you know, thought generation and things like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think about? Yeah, no, I idea? dig it. And like, that's, I think that that's one of the things that's been unique well, now I can't say it's unique, but it's it's special about humans that we gather around substances that change our, you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. across the planet. There's evidence of that, right? So um, from an anthropologist standpoint, it's kind of like that's, that is, could be considered closer to like a human nature mm-hmm. than a lot of these other things that we put on, uh, you know, um, Western culture likes to kind of package human nature as a, a certain set of, you know, values or these kind of things, but really it'd be hard to pin down a true human nature other than like oh we're social beings that like to alter our consciousness and so mm-hmm. we get together to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's just kind of in the solid that sure. has kept humans going for a long time and you know it's it's not only true it's true for any kind of altered state you know you take people going to the bars and drinking right they're altering their their mental state with a particular substance and it's it's putting them both on the same wavelength so that they can still conduct what seems like meaningful conversation in those states, right, in that moment, if you can remember them. But for me, like, I, I haven't had a drink in over 10 years, so when I go to the bar, uh, it's fine at the beginning of the night. I can converse on that same wavelength, but other people's states of consciousness change with alcohol, and all of a sudden they're able to communicate very clearly with each other, mm-hmm. and I'm unable to connect uh, in a way that's meaningful um, with with uh, someone else in an altered state. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, so there's a fun one. There's a you know, if you want an example of this, the seen versus the unseen parts of mind. Um, I've been in experiences, uh, you know, typically like in the summer when the weather's really nice or something and you're kind of like out and, you know, maybe it's earlier in the day, like uh, maybe even before noon, but, you know, just it's an earlier part of the day. Uh, People are just kind of out and about doing their own thing. And then someone enters the restaurant who's like day drunk. Mm. Like maybe they went and played a round of golf and started at 7 a.m. So they're just like, but it's wild how the atmosphere changes, right? So when that, you know, person or small group of people that come in with this, you know, very different um, wavelengths happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like alcohol being a depressant, like they just kind of come in, the way they converse, the way they, you know, it's so disruptive at so many different levels, but it's real subtle. And you can watch the whole environment of places change, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen more than once. (laughs) 
yeah, uh, eventually people end up clearing out or, you know, like avoiding, you know, these kind of people um, because it is so jarring. You know, if everybody was there, if it was later in the evening or people had been drinking, it's different. People kind of just tolerate that, you know, but seeing it when there's, uh, you know, such a juxtaposition, it really is striking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I find it hard to connect uh, sometimes when those wavelengths don't match up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the other side of it where, you know, if two people are in altered states that are similar and they're having a conversation with each other's mind mm-hmm. verbally, like they're both vibrating at a different frequency than their every average day mm-hmm. vibration, you know? So um, what's the potential there for maybe generating ideas that probably couldn't have been generated at a maybe a lower vibration or something like that. Maybe if you're buzzing higher, um, like even like two meditators, right? They're meditating together, and then come out of it and have a very deep dialogue about the inner workings of our mind. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like they'd be able to connect on a level that can generate, um, I don't know, get extra information that's maybe unseen in normal states of consciousness. Right. And I think that that's, you know, points towards, you know, some of the benefits of meditation and stuff is um, kind of a process of being able to retrieve information in uh, in more of a clear way, right? It's not necessarily about getting rid of the thinking or any of this. It's just about recognizing when it arrives. Yeah, paying attention. Yeah. When fear shows up, you know. Yeah, and instead of being you know like worked up about it, you invite that in as the old friend that you know fear. <laughs> oh, like, well, here you are. Um, <clears throat> it also, you know, as you were talking about that, it reminds me too of like, well, meditation is a good example. But then, you know, so indigenous traditions using medicines, uh, specifically down in South America, some of the curanderos, like they actually come from from traditions where uh, the person who came to be healed by these, you know plant medicines didn't actually take them right the 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 healer was the one who ingested the substance and gathered information Mm -hmm. from the realm that was visited through that medicine did some psychic psychic surgery yeah yeah Yeah. to then deliver the information for this person and you know it's like oh and you know you got to stop fighting with your cousin or you got you know Mm -hmm. this is causing trouble that uh then you don't eat well and then your diet's off and you know all you know the different things but it um really is wild to think about it that way or in the the healing ceremonies where uh the healer also takes the medicine so the 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 person being healed and the healer and just what that does for the availability in western medicine we just wouldn't even think of that right Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't um go to your psychiatrist and be like all right doc let's take that antidepressant together Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) it's absolutely ridiculous so so i have an off um Kind of an offbeat question, but related to, you know, healing practices. And you were you were mentioning some very beautiful healing practices, you know, with the curanderos and things. Um, but here's a, here's a curveball for you. So what do you think about uh, instances in human history where we have uh, so-called uh, healing practices or practices that are meant to, like, generate growth agriculturally or whatever, but have involved like mass human sacrifice, right? Like down in uh, the Aztecs, right? Mm. Sacrificed thousands of their own people uh, on a regular basis to like bring forth, you know, 
fertility in their lands and things like that. And it was, it was an honor to be like sort of selected to be that sacrifice if, you know, in that culture. I think that's an interesting one. It is. And, uh, you know, as an anthropologist, it's always interesting to look back and, uh, you know, with things like that, we're always, we're just making up the story about why, why that all took place and what context it exists in. And so with that, I just kind of wonder what, our current state of affairs will look like from the future, right? Like we, humans die daily. You know, we have mass genocides and stuff like that. And what we see it is like, oh, that was just like uh, some people trying to make sacrifice so that they survived a war or, you know, like mm-hmm. I, whatever crazy other bullshit story you could make about these things. Like, I don't know. Um, but that's, if you, if you come from a place that uh, mind doesn't only exist in, the body that it also exists in this unseen realm uh belief systems that don't place that as like it's, it's not on the moral compass for that not to exist in a body it's like well no that just goes somewhere else or it exists in a different realm so then you know the kind of the, the decisions you make on you know based in that context looks differently mm-hmm. you know it's actually revered in some ways of like oh achieving things to a different realm or afterlife or so Mm-hmm. Those are all perfect examples of the unseen, you yeah. know. And I think I think our our listeners might be asking, well, how the hell do you see the unseen? Uh, yeah, drugs help. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that that's I think that that's probably why humans do you know uh, alter their consciousness is, uh, you know, it does lift unseen. a veil, mm-hmm. and you know. Uh, it, it, I recently was seeing some of the uh, the videos back from um, the LSD trials in the 1950s and just seeing the video footage, um, you know, pretty, they look like pretty typical white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, you know, people. I mean, they they really, really waspy, actually, kind of a feel to it. Um, but then you see them under, and high doses, too. These were not, like, typical recreational doses of, like, 100 to 150 mics of LSD. They were they were definitely taking three, 400. Um, so, that, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. altered state of consciousness happening. But then them realizing that it was an extension of reality, that, that it's not that it's it's based in illusion that that it's not like a hallucination but you're you're actually viewing the world as it is in a different way right instead of viewing something that doesn't exist mm-hmm. right you're tuning into well the different frequencies of the unseen you know like um you know the the brain operates at all these different i don't know if i have this thing shows the frequency list yeah uh no it doesn't but as like as your level of consciousness changes the frequency at which it operates changes right so mm-hmm. higher frequency brain waves are are thought to have you know more expansive thinking you know these are like meditative or like deep sleep um you know rem sleep it even has has some of those brain waves and you know being able to achieve some of those brain wave states any number of ways you know uh drugs to you know easily alter the consciousness if you know what you're doing um you know meditation martial arts uh all sorts of things you know sometimes even getting into a really good book you know can really alter your consciousness such that you you trick your brain into thinking that you're there you know alongside Mm -hmm. the main characters Mm -hmm. um so i think you you said something 
and I forgot what you said, but it's a perfect segue into another curveball question. Is any of this even real? What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I recently saw a meme that's uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, <laughs> I love like, uh, Yeah, let me, let me think of it for a second. I forget how it starts out, but he goes, oh, and, you know, just so you know, The Matrix was a documentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I, in some ways, I, I do feel that that it could be possible. Well, and, 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 you know, I think that that's a very cinematic Hollywood way of describing it. But if consciousness is not located necessarily within an individual, we talk about it as a collective consciousness, you know, all these different things. So if it's not localized in the body and then, so when a body dies, it's, you know, it exists somewhere else. Well then, yeah, we kind of are just like this, you know, unseen thing that taps into a physical reality, you know, and, uh, it falls a lot in line with like uh, uh, Hindu cosmology, mm-hmm. um, the in and out breath of uh, Brahman, and so uh, just this idea that yeah, the manifest is only manifest because it's manifest. If it wasn't manifest, it'd be unmanifest. And mm-hmm. that's just like okay, well, that's like the thinking we had to say yeah, this in and out breath. When it's an in breath, there's something there. When it's an out breath, nothing there. Full, empty, mm-hmm. and that's just uh, the. And even breaking it down even further, like into different actions with the breath, like if you if you're breathing in, the act of breathing in is an action, right? So you're manifesting an action. And then the out breath is also a manifestation of an action, a a deflation of of what was once there, you know, but in between the breaths, you know, there's these really small gaps that I, I like to pay attention to in meditation where, um, in those spaces between either at the bottom or top between in breath and out breath, um, there is no uh, active manifestation by my body, uh, under my control anyway, like my heart rate's still beating, my blood's still flowing, my cells are still moving in every moment, but I'm not creating any action. Um, and I find a lot more clarity in there because it's almost like a really brief escape from, the physical reality, you know, that we experience. It's just like, like, boom. And then in between each breath, it's like a little burst of, you know, just nothingness, which is, you know, so full when you're actually there, it feels so loving and, and embracing and full. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. So is this any, is this even real? Like a lot of people put up really good arguments about if, physical reality is real, but also, you know, the simulation theory, like you were talking about that this is all not real, or maybe physical reality is just one version of realness. You know, I know that uh, in my own experiences, I've, I feel like I've been to places where, um, like you said, they're always present, but you finally get to see them, you know, they're opened up to you and, it doesn't feel like a hallucination, you know, being defined as something that's not actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's like an overlay over the physical reality that I'm used to, over my conditioning. And then all of a sudden I see this whole other realm um, overlaid and it feels more real than the physical reality sometimes, you know, where you're just like, I have been here before. Um this is familiar, you know, it's not scary. It's kind of 
a little overwhelming and surprising sometimes. Um, some of the things that you, you know, you experience, but it feels real. It feels just as real as the physical reality. Sometimes even more. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That's it's interesting because that um, you know it's like a generative reality that you know it's not real until we've arrived there, and then even when we have arrived there, still not even real. And you know mm-hmm. that's kind of the, you know, where we exist in the past. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking more of a, a, a psychological level instead of a physical matter piece, but. It's definitely interesting working with people and that, uh, yeah, is basically the work that I helped do. If you boiled it down was like, uh, people that lean too far into the future, I help them kind of relax and lean back into the present people that lean too far into the past, I <laughs> kind of pep them up and help them bring them into the you know present moment. But you know, that, that's just being right here and right now is, you know, best tool we got. Right. It's the only one and it's pretty damn awesome. Um, okay. So I know you, I think you spoke about this on the last show and I wanted to get a little bit more into it, um, because I've been more fascinated the more I hear you speak about it. And this is the, um, you know, the hearing voices network, right. That you mentioned on the last podcast and sort of your experiences in experiencing those, you know, those aspects of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I am com- in complete alignment that I believe that those, all these, you know, voices or apparitions that people see or hear are absolutely real. You know, if they're real to you, then, the, you know, they're a real thing. It's real enough. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So, but I don't necessarily experience um, voices. I do experience, like, the presence of my grandmother. This is her right here. Um, in her judo gi back in the uh, 50s, I think. It's pretty Wonderful. awesome. Yeah. So I experience her sort of as a guardian angel watching over me from time to time. And mm-hmm. almost, I've, I feel like I've almost seen her as an apparition, you know, late at night, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask you about, so you, you talked last time about your experiences um, in this realm, but what, I was wondering if you could unpack maybe some of the theories behind, like what people think is going on um, as far as, brain stuff, neural, ki- neural connectivity, maybe frequency modulation uh, in order to, like, what's, what's going on between your mind and uh, whatever is around oh, us that, well, yeah, that yeah. you can tune into I, that? I wish, I wish that I had answers to that. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that science doesn't have answers to that. And I think that that's sometimes what frustrates um, you know, I know I know a lot of people in the medical field, uh, MDS, and uh, you know the like that are that are skeptics of some of these things. And you know, the ones that I really appreciate having conversations with are the ones that are skeptics, but just admit that it's oh well, it's just because we haven't been able to observe, right? We haven't mm-hmm. observed why, you know. And that's you know, I really uh, take a critical perspective of like brain scan images and and, and stuff like that. Like uh, they're 
really simplistic ways of describing very complex exchanges that really we have only begun to be able to even observe. And we don't know if what we're observing is it or not, right? There's, there's so many different layers to this, you know, like, um, so whether you're watching like brain waves or brain frequencies or even going down to like neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. we're still discovering new neurotransmitters. We're, we're still just discovering new ways that they interact and change in the body. And, uh, you know, um, to, to boil any of this down to like, oh, it's just as simple as like, oh, somebody's got this going on in their, you know, dopamine receptors. And so that's what's doing all this or, you know, uh, oh, it's uh, this person has access to alpha waves mm-hmm. and then can switch to theta waves. So they have this advantage. Like it's just so overly simplified right mm-hmm. now that uh, there is there is no telling if we're even looking at what um, is, is right to be looking at for these kind of things or not. Right, that's yet to be seen, um, and so I just don't think it's a simple uh, answer at those levels. Um, with what is, you know, uh, I would also put it at an individual level too. That like, not all of these things are the same. Not uh, the the way that people receive these or that they experience them is definitely not always the same. And so within that. Um, Who's to say that it's not any combination or uh, even, you know, a lack of something being there that's kind of generating some of this stuff, so we don't know. But um, I think that from, you know, from the, the the social aspect of it, I think normalizing it and actually just bringing it into our dialogue um, because, you know, a lot of these things are packaged around the negative consequences and like, so there's these negative symptoms of mental health, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, these voices told you to do something bad or that, you know, you had visions of terrible things or whatever. Uh, that's only one way that this exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, um, you know, hearing voices is as common as being left-handed, right? So it's, it's really common, right? So, um, if we talked about it more that way and actually just said, oh, well, it actually, so it's not being left-handed that, you know, makes you wrong, you know, which actually was, you know, part of my, like, my grandfather's generation. But instead of seeing it that way and seeing it as like, oh, well, how is this just a part of who you are? So if it's like, yeah, you, you hear voices, okay, well, when does that cause you distress? Hmm. When does that cause you joy? When do you appreciate it? When do you not? You know, like that being a part of the conversation instead of like, oh, we could probably locate why this is, you know, taking place and annihilate it in the brain. Yeah, so more of a focus on the relationship that you have with the voice uh, rather than like what's actually generating it in the brain or how it's, you know, if the brain is just like a filter, like how it's filtering through the the complex organism. Because I guarantee you, like if science actually had figured any of that out, they really probably would have honed in and, you know, helped people out from under mm-hmm. this distress because right. sometimes this really is distressing in people's lives. And so if it was a simple answer, mm-hmm. we would absolutely take that. And this is, you know, this is something that the West has tried to put its finger on, but obviously science has not caught up to, you know, the, the level of measurement um, that would need to be you know, maybe with quantum computing, you, you're going to be able to reach something like that. But the mystic traditions and um, spiritual traditions have lots of theories about uh, altered states and hearing voices and seeing ghosts and things like that that happen in our Western society to very to a lot of us, right? Like you said, um, it's as common as being left-handed, but. 
there's i mean is there literature is there a big body of literature on these things in our culture um and maybe i mean studying anthropology i'm sure you've come across many theories of of hearing voices and i'd I'd be curious Mm -hmm. to hear about like you know how that's treated in like the amazon and how it's how it's seen in you know asian countries and things like that yeah no there's definitely a lot written about this um and yeah, it's definitely interesting how, um, you know, the Western view values certain things over others. So there's a movie, Crazy Wise, um, that's out. We've done some viewings with the NOAC Society a couple mm-hmm. of times and some other places. Um, but that's a good one if people wanted to check something out about that. It's, it's kind of rooted in um, uh, more of a modern documentary on some of this. But, uh, yeah, 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 lots written on that. Mm-hmm. Um but we conceptualize it differently here in the West than, say, other countries, other cultures. Well, yeah, for absolutely. sure. Uh, yeah, and you know, we take some from that too. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. That's that's a really that's a really big question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, maybe I'll switch gears a little bit, and still, I mean, still kind of related, but uh, it's something that I think you and I have been talking about. You know, not on uh, the podcast. Um, but outside the podcast, and I would like to like get some get some opinions on the record um, around the idea of creating or identifying a, a Western culture around psychedelics, right? Okay. So, because we adopt up to this point so many um, cultural aspects, you know, almost in an appropriation way from you know South America and from um, you know, other traditions in Africa and things like that. So we appropriate them into our culture and try and, you know, being the, you know, the mixed bag that we are here in the U.S., it's, um, it hasn't really found its its own voice, you know. And I feel like um, that's holding us back, you know, as, as a culture and how we view drugs and how drugs are in, in legal policy and, you know, our relationship to them. And I feel like it's a vital step for us um, to identify, like, what is our Western culture around psychedelics? Yeah. Well, so what's interesting, you know, as you say this, it's first important to recognize the the consequence of prohibition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've kind of grappled with this, like, piece of, like, oh, why are we seeing more, like, peyote ceremonies and ayahuasca ceremonies, uh, you know, like any given weekend, you could probably go down to Boulder and Mm -hmm. find four or five ayahuasca ceremonies going on. And that probably spans a spectrum of people who are offering it, people who are involved in taking it, you know, all of those things, you know, you'd probably see some closer to indigenous traditions. You'd see some uh, from the Santa Diami church, which is more like a Catholic bent on it. But like, yeah, you'd probably even find some people that were just like, Experimenting it together with their partner in their home alone, right? Native American church too. I want to right, but so recognizing that yes, Mm -hmm. some of that we can talk about as appropriation or like people you know trying to explore these things in uh, ill-informed ways or you know um, whatever. But that's also uh, all direct result of prohibition, right? because those substances have found a uh, you know an avenue in to be a little less illegal, right? Like if you can justify it as being a part of the Native American church to go do this ceremony to take a drug that alters your consciousness in these ways, then you feel a little bit safer about it. But 
the reason the reason you have to go down that whole line is because all of these other substances that we have readily available are denied to you, right? Mm-hmm. Even the, the the safety, the relative safety compared to a lot of other things that we just take for granted, have been shown. We you know it's still denied adults, uh, healthy adults, to make this decision for themselves, right? So it's just mm-hmm. it's just really interesting, like. Uh, why hasn't the culture arrived? Well, because we've been prohibiting that culture from even um, participating, right? Or even even granting that culture um, the respect of knowing what's best for itself, right? Like uh, reefer madness was all about demonizing cannabis and all you know all of the the different um, pieces around the cultures of use. Uh, and when jazz did, musicians. When did that like, one come out? Uh, Reefer Madness, I think, was in first in fifty two or fifty three, maybe. So right alongside like those uh, those old LSD videos that you saw, right? Like, those were used for propaganda too, like crazy. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen the old army videos, you know, mm-hmm. that they show like about LSD with like this news reporter guy. He's like, that we definitely know that this uh, damages the brain, and you should definitely not take this. And then it shows you know clips of those fifties LSD mm-hmm. trips. Um, yeah, but um, it's interesting because prohibition's only relatively new, you know, in, in the entirety of human culture, um, restriction on uh, altering your consciousness, which this is really what it comes down to, you know, mm-hmm. a, dr- a drug is a drug, you know, um, people are just looking to find these different states of consciousness, and that's what's being restricted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but prohibition has only been around relatively new, you know, and uh, and... But it came on really strong, and it had a really deep and dark impact on our society and societies all over the world. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's we need to just be very clear about Nixon and his, um, you know, it was, it was, the premise was definitely based around oppressing races and classes of people, right? And so uh, just one of the ways we can be real... Um, about that, uh, bringing about the psychedelic culture is rectifying some of that too, and 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 recognizing that you know a unification of people uh, across demographics, and so you know minorities, um, uh, uh, people of color, lower you know people of the lower socioeconomic status and stuff like that. Uh, the more they come together, the better they are. The more separated they are, and the more they you know fight against each other, the better the you know system is right Mm -hmm. so um that definitely was the rift that was being put in there like uh you know no drug is inherently good or bad Mm -hmm. so to just begin to package them as like oh no this set of drugs is public enemy number one Mm -hmm. uh was really wild right with with almost no evidence right to support that yeah and at the same time you know promoting benzos on the other side oh yeah (laughs) these things that definitely had more severe consequences um, and so, yeah, just, uh, I think coming out, uh, from under some of that and recognizing that is like, oh, that was what they were trying try, what was tr- attempting to be squashed in prohibition was some of those aspects. Right. And so, um, also that piece of, you know, I, I love that I've, I've seen some articles coming out that are talking about how, um, the use of psychedelics of all different sorts as well. It's not like just, oh, the people who take mushrooms or, oh, the people who take LSD have uh, more of a connection to nature afterwards. Mm-hmm. So like ha- after having these experiences, 
having more of a connection to nature and that just being super important, right? And so that was that was big coming out of the 60s. Uh, and it was important. That was, that was when people were first talking about peak oil or like this, like, hey, we have this reliance on this substance that we don't really need, right? Like that, at that generation, they knew that Henry Ford had designed the Ford automobile on hemp composite plastics. And, you know, uh, the diesel engine was first made to be a biodiesel engine, right? You know, so it's like these, these things, they knew that. And then they're like, oh, well, why don't we just go back to this? And so then, you know, the petrochemical, you know, petrochemical lobby and then until the entire industrial military complex definitely were like, no, no, that's not the direction we're going, kiddos. So we're going to, you know, squash all this free thinking drug use that you got. And, you know, don't use those. Use these ones that get get you back to work. And, mm-hmm. and you the know, status quo. Yeah, maintain you, the status yeah, quo. Yeah, yeah. Go back to school. And uh, I think, you know, capitalism had a huge influence on that, right? A, mm-hmm. An entire focus on, you know, what can we produce and mm. make money from. Mm-hmm. And it still, you know, bleeds into every part of our society today, which sucks. Um, yeah. But I want to bring up real quick, because you said you were talking about um, the new studies coming out showing that, or I don't even know if they're new or just they've just been showing up on my feed about the connection to nature, right, after these altered states. And um, it reminded me of something that uh, Dr. McKenna said um when I talked to him and he said, um, you know, I think he's been saying this for a long time. I've seen him say it on speeches, mm-hmm. but the plants rule humans, you know, that mm-hmm. it's these stupid monkeys that think that they're in charge, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can enhance your connection to the rulers of the planet, which are, you know, nature and the mm-hmm. plants and things mm-hmm. like that, uh, seems like it would be a no-brainer, right? Like we should probably start trying to connect in a different way to nature uh, than we have been because certainly it's a consumerist type of connection to nature that we have now. You know, let's strip as many resources as we can and try and, you know, make an effort to mitigate things. But, um, you know, we certainly don't have a good relationship there. And it would make sense that, you know, part of this global consciousness shift should involve you know, looking at that, looking at that relationship again and um, maybe assessing, um, you know, that was a that was a relationship from the past and that's not serving us. Mm-hmm. How can we move forward in a new way, um, sort of with like like we were working on earlier this week, like with a vision, you know, for the planet collectively, you know, and reach this this new higher state of like collective consciousness around Eco issues. You know, I've been toying with some some ideas around this, and so you know, part of the dialogue that's shown up here, especially you know, we're on the front range of Colorado. Um, no Act Society's been holding psychedelic professionals meetups. Boulder, Denver, Fort Collins now, um, and you know, one of the things that's easily identified is that it's a lot of white people showing up. Mm-hmm. A lot of white people in the Denver decrim movement, and not that it's a not that it's a bad thing, but a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, we need to be uh, make sure that we're um, including diversity, recognizing that um, uh, you know minority groups uh, are, are underrepresented, and that there's reasons for that, and so uh, also determining like um, our work in this is as the white folks who are showing up, and it's like, well, yeah, and we're not supposed to just wait wait for other folks to come to have mm-hmm. this dialogue. We need to be discussing this too, and so what's interesting is I also have this idea that you know if we talk about bullying, right? Like bully cultures, uh, bullies are not born. Bullies are made, right? Like a bully typically would come from a, a family system or a ho- home where that, uh, 
type of treatment was kind of passed on to them from caregivers or whatever. And so that bullying piece was then, you know, taken to school and delivered to other kiddos or whatever, right? Well, expanding that out of like the elementary school and expanding it into humans, right? Like white culture, um, imperialism, colonialism are the roots of the bullishness that we exist, that exists now, right? Like those things have been directly impacting the, what we experience now and white culture. Uh, not that all white people have been, you know, uh, responsible for all of the terrible things that are going on in the world. Like that's, that's not, clearly not true, but within the United States, uh, the white culture has definitely um, helped perpetuate some of this. And I believe that the, the way it's been perpetuated is within our white culture. We first within our family systems and with our you know communities have had to learn how to bully ourselves first and then we've spread that out to other communities. And so that's why it's um, it's hard to pinpoint down. Some of it turns into racism. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we definitely see it related to people who have different color skin. Uh, as that excuse kind of runs out, you see it then blamed on other things like socioeconomic place. And so either mm-hmm. it's like the rich you hate or the poor you hate, but you're definitely going to hate somebody that has different amount, amounts of cash than you do. Yeah. And you're never but, asked to, to question your own. Right. Yeah. And so it's that 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 bullying piece of like, huh. oh, well, we're 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 being treated poorly to whatever extent. So then we are going to pass that on. Yeah. And so I think that some of these roots really need to be uh, like rooted out. Like we need to get these root balls and like pull out and um, <coughs> that uh, in real ways that could possibly be why psychedelics are so important to our communities right now mm-hmm. that actually confronting this piece of like oh and we've passively participated in these systems that have been racially charged and racially oppressive right or have been you know um uh, oppressive to women and you know like all of these things and we've passively participated in that and so psychedelics being able to bring us closer not only to each other but the planet i mean maybe that's why we see more white folks showing up in the scene. Is it like, well, yeah, no, we need heavy doses of this because we're, we're as well as we're messed you know, up other bunch. communities. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, um, do, you know, uh, uh, African-American communities like need, uh, a, a striking, uh, uh, experience of altered uh, consciousness to understand the oppression that they're under. No, Mm-hmm. daily they're reminded that shit right mm-hmm. so yeah the, like uh thinking of it that way you're like oh well okay you know psychedelics also will mean different things in those communities right like they are awakening to different stuff mm. and so i also think that that's uh important to remember as we're bringing in this dialogue is like oh and you know of course these these things are not being used in the same ways uh not even the same drugs either so we need to like you know recognize um you know we uh, it's funny in some of my circles, you know, we, you know, uh, when we're joking about drugs, we'll, we'll joke about PCP, right? Mm. It's an easy target just because it gets a lot of bad press. Mm. But we also need to recognize that there are communities that really like that drug. Mm. And, and a lot of other it. good drugs came from PCP. Yeah. Ketamine is, yep. a, you know, uh, yeah, an example of that. But like, so, um, you know, I, I actually caught myself making fun of it, and I, that's when it dawned on me. I was like, oh, and that definitely objectifies anybody who would be in this crowd that either, you know, did it and liked it or, you know, uh, you know, it was a part of whatever. Yeah, how, how welcome do they feel in the dialogue now? So we kind of got to pay attention to things like that. And um, 
yeah, really be ready to expand uh, that idea of what mm-hmm. it is to use substances. And, you know, what is it if, if, if we're talking about psychedelic meaning mind manifesting, mm-hmm. what does that look like from different points of view, right? Like if, if your worldview is different, all right, well, something different manifests from that mind. Mm-hmm. Right? And, well, I, w- I want to ask you this then, because, uh, and this idea about, um, you know, white power, white oppression, I'm, my wife and I are reading uh, White Fragility right now together, oh, yeah. and uh, it's like blowing my mind how blind I've been to my own, like, issues around this, mm-hmm. you know, and how I manifest it unknowingly, and mm-hmm. how I've been conditioned to do certain things that, that uh you know, that I don't even know are oppressing people. Um, so it's like helping me change. Um, and it's been really helpful. Uh, and the next semester, um, I'm taking a class where we're reading, uh, I think it's called Deconstru- Deconstructing White Power, something mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And it's waiting for me at the CSU bookstore. And so I look forward to reading that too. And further, <clears throat> excuse me, further expanding like my, my understanding and my awareness around this issue. Um, but race is just one of many divide, dividing issues, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not race that you see that's causing division in the country one week, like the next week it's about something else, like, you know, equal pay and things like that and, and or something else. It could be any number of things mm-hmm. that are used to distract us. Um, one of my last uh, past guests, um, he was um, questioning whether we can even have the capacity right now to – unify around one maybe panacea right something that is that is um that we can all connect to beyond race beyond sex beyond you know gender beyond sexual preference beyond country and national borders beyond any of this he was he was unsure whether we even have the capacity uh with our current mind state to to even find something to unify under um Mm -hmm. I have a tough time finding something as well beyond the idea that consciousness uh, or the exploration of consciousness could be this panacea because it is something that we all experience uh, across all, you know, variables. Um, I mean, our consciousness is different too. That is also, you know, the same across all variables. So maybe this could be a panacea or psychedelics as sort of a, uh, you know, a, um, a tool to help people, um, you know, expand their understanding of consciousness. Maybe that is like the physical tool that we're being given in this physical reality to, to find that panacea that's going to unify everything, you know, because mm-hmm. we we've certainly tried to unify over other things and we're still a divided world. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, um, you know, as you first started to talk about that, my first inclination is to, like, affirm feminism mm-hmm. and just just to kind of come about and say, well, uh, maybe it's not about unifying. Like, maybe there's not one answer. Um, maybe it's being inclusive of many answers is actually what we're headed towards. You know, and that being a unifying force that, you know, uh, again, from uh, this affirming feminism is like, uh, you know, uh, giving people agency over their body. Right. Like maybe that's the unifying piece. And we don't Mm. we can't determine 
what that looks like for everybody. You know, there's people of all different abilities and, you know, shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, whatever. And so just recognizing that like, oh, we can't, we can't say, oh, this is the one way that's going to get them all. Uh, you know, like the, the charismatic Christians just being like, yeah, no, you got to have, you know, the room and space for you to do that. And, you know, and I think that uh, recognizing that a lot of what we're talking about, too, does boil down to a First Amendment arguments, right? Mm-hmm. The, the right, the right to free speech and the right to peaceably assemble. I think the freedom and uh, freedom over consciousness should be amended into that. It, it, the First well, Amendment, you know, if, uh, without without having the specific language, language mm-hmm. it already kind of provides for some of that. But really, that's what we need to really be talking about. Is like why uh, uh, would we, you know, try and hold these as like you know this this really important thing within our, our constitution, the amendments to it, the Bill of Rights, saying like, okay, so first off, we just want to give people the right to say and and do what they want, and to go ahead and hang out with people that want to say and do what they want too, right? Hmm. Um, as, long, as long as they're right. not harming other people, exactly. And so it's like, okay, well. <laughs> Most all of the psychedelic drugs that I've seen, people pretty pretty peaceful with, mm-hmm. you know. But it's also yeah, um, just normalizing that part of the conversation, I guess. But really, um, yeah, I don't know that there's there, it's not it's not one way. Like what I actually appreciate about the psychedelic movement is that it increases choice, mm-hmm. right? Like one of the other things that prohibition has done is, you know, every time uh, a chemical comes out that is exciting and, you know, uh, people are going to, you know, uh, want to explore, they start putting it into the scheduling process and then try and schedule all of the analogs to it. Right. But just generates people creating different ways to get high. Right. Mm. And it has not actually solved the problem of, um, people getting high at all. It's generated more uh, diversity in the different chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, recently uh, discussing with some colleagues, you know, like uh, MDMA has, you know, been heralded as this breakthrough status. It's helping uh, people, you know, with PTSD and these different things. And it's, you know, sh- I, I believe it's safe enough. Adults should just be able to go get this. But then to find out that, oh, well, yeah, then there's other uh, chemical mixes. Um, and I don't I don't actually know when this one was made, but 3-MMC uh, being um, preferred in some circles. And they're saying like, oh, actually, if you're working with, uh, you know, trauma, this is actually the one you want to go to because it's got less of the euphoria and more of the like right on dialogue or mm-hmm. I forget how it was described, but um, <clears throat> Yeah. You're, you're way more you're way more up to date on like the research chemicals uh like even like 2cb you know i hear that one being thrown around probably most out of some of the newer research chemicals but i still you know i i don't know very much about it like what well, what do you what can you tell me about maybe some of the the up-and-coming research uh chemicals that are being experimented with well there a lot of them aren't new they uh Anne and uh alexander shulgin Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander was the you know you know Tico and Tico yeah, yeah, yeah his yeah, books two yeah, yeah. um, mm-hmm. CB was uh, I think that's the one that he reported was his fave mm-hmm. um, shorter acting um, more more tuned into the effects that he wanted to get from altered consciousness um, but yeah no it uh, like what what were some of those things that he was going after uh, as far as uh, getting you know, from it's 2CB? actually been quite a while since I've visited okay. that book so I, I don't want to do it any uh, uh-huh. injustice. Um, what do you know about the effects of, uh, I from what you that, read? uh, the durations two to two to four hours, uh, I believe it's similar, uh, psychosocial effects like increased empathy, 
uh, connection with others and closeness. Um, from what I also remember is people, there a lot of people experience slight visual, like uh, slight visual um, alterations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it's not as, uh, I don't believe it's as speedy or as like uh, the, the methamphetamine piece from MDMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think is there. So I think that that, you know, it's a little bit shorter acting. It doesn't leave you uh, feeling like wore out and exhausted. And this is just what I remember from like trip reports and stuff. Of oh, course, yeah. bluelight.org, you could find out about people shooting it up in their eyeballs probably. Oh, <laughs> I wonder if removing that methamphetamine component from the molecule, um, made the safety profile of the drug better than MDMA in some ways. Uh, and if Shulgin reported that in his books. Oh, that, 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 wasn't, a direct, that wasn't a direct chemical thing that I was saying. Oh, okay. that, that, no, 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 that wasn't. Um, they are actually uh, totally different. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a good place for us to take a quick commercial break, but stick around for segment number two with Rob. Um, we're going to get into some materials that he brought into the podcast. I'm eager to see what he's brought us. And uh, we'll be right back. Stick around. As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. All right, folks, we're back for segment number two with Dr. Rob Colbert. I like—I just like calling you doctor. I don't—I don't know. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, <laughs> worked really hard for those letters. Oh, I know. I, I'm learning that, <laughs> yeah. um, but enjoying it. Um, so right away, I want to get into some of the materials you brought, because I know that, um, you know, one of the most important aspects of this podcast is that it's it's bringing together consciousness in different people and myself included at a, at like a snapshot in their life. Right. So then I have like this archive that I can always go back to and. And you can go back to and, and listen to your own mind state, like at certain points in your life. And so I love it when guests bring things in to talk about, because then I get like a really clear snapshot of like what's going on in your mind currently and what you're kind of pondering and, and what's like on the cutting edge of Rob's consciousness. So, uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, like just sharing some of this cool stuff you brought. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a book that I'm actually just getting into um, maybe a quarter of the way through, but uh, it's called Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, uh, Adrian Marie Brown. Um, really have been getting into, uh, back into like um, social change. You know, that's actually what my, my PhD is in, is social change. And uh, looking at this piece of organizing within the community. And so... Um, uh, you know, this book kind of just came to me online and I decided to pick it up. And um, it's good because, you know, we really need uh, people to be organizing in <coughs> new ways, right? And so I just want to really encourage people that, um, you know, starting businesses, starting nonprofits, starting groups, um, starting research, uh, these things are really within grasp. We need to go towards them if we feel inspired, right? Um, we need to stop waiting for 
the right degree or the the right leader or the right whatever, and to recognize, no, we need to to, to do these things for ourselves, and we we uh, we have the tools that we need within our communities, you know, and um, just reaching out and starting the dialogue usually brings about people who are uh, are absolutely necessary for the conversation that you're wanting to have in your community, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's been wild. Um, you know, talking about organizing, I've been reflecting on uh, organizing um, the NOAC Society, mm-hmm. right? Actually, uh, just the process that we went through of wanting it to be, um, you know, something that uh, allowed kind of an umbrella uh, mission statement and values that then would allow us to do lots of different work. It wasn't like honed in on like, oh, this is the specific problem. We kind of recognize that, you know, with uh, drugs and medicines, there's lots of different problems. And we, we may not be able to identify all of those um, to even begin. So instead of going about it that direction of trying to figure out like, oh, how are we going to like transform drug use in our community? Yeah, and those issues change over time too. So you're right. leaving yourself the flexibility to like adapt as the, the cultural story changes too. Right. And, uh, and so just kind of being flexible with that too and saying like, oh, well, what, what do we, you know, what does the community first, what, what do they want to learn about? What is available? And, you know, with NOAC, it actually was interesting, um, you know, getting out and doing uh, community speaker series. And we, uh, Dr. Shannon Hughes and I uh, were putting together a Right to Try talk, and this was informed by some dialogues that we had had. Um, Joanne Janal, uh, I don't believe she was a senator at that time, but she's a senator now, Um, (coughs) representative here in Colorado, Um, but was just talking about the the Right to Try law that had passed in 2014, um, kind of discussing what she had wanted from that, you know, and some of the story about uh, behind that and, and, and why it had been brought about and realizing like, oh, this is this is important. People don't know that this law exists. Uh, it, Colorado was one of the first states to put it out there and it was increasing access for people uh, with uh, life-threatening or terminal illness to um, have access to treatments, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this had been used for advanced chemotherapies and things like that. But it was also very open that this could be used on any treatment that had passed phase one safety trials for uh, uh, FDA uh, approval. And so uh, drugs like MDMA, psilocybin, even LSD uh, had all passed these phases. And so they were, they were also acceptable as treatments. And so we just decided like, oh, well, people need to be informed about this. Our community, like this exists in law in Colorado. And actually while we started preparing some of this, I think we had given a talk or two, uh, it was passed at the federal level. Um, it was signed into law in May of 2017, I think it was. Uh, so we actually became a federal law. And so um, we were like, oh, awesome. Now we really need to get this out there. And so uh, it was just noticing that one little piece of like, oh, we should just let people know that the right to try law exists and that there might be ways that we could incorporate the use of treatments like psychedelics uh, that have been proven for uh, things like end of life anxiety, like uh, psilocybin studies specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just kind of putting it out there. And uh, the, the serendipitous alignments of just 
going out and sharing that education with the community sparked a lot of ideas. And so, you know, Kevin Matthews and uh, lots of uh, several of the people from the Denver decrim movement actually met at some of those meetings. And, uh, you know, there were some uh, talks of putting some things on ballot initiatives, but nobody was really uh, kind of going towards it. And that just allowed the connections to start to happen. And so uh, in a very mycelial way, mm-hmm. those roots is that, oh, okay, well, now we, we've found some uh, a source of, of nutrient that um, made those people thrive or feel you know, feel vibrance for mm-hmm. life. And so they said, okay, let's go towards it. And so they did. And not that it was an easy thing. There was a, you know, a lot of tough work in it, but they made something really wonderful grow, right? They had a connection on a cause. Yeah. And, they, and it came from that mm-hmm. connection on a cause, right? And so the grassroots organizing around that took place and brought this thing about. And what's what's fun about it is, you know, also in a mycelial way, you know, SPORE was born after that, the Society for Psychedelic Outreach, Reform, and Education. Nailed it. That was awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that that was basically the fruiting body off of this mycelia, right? It was like, oh, okay, so we did this thing, and oh, wow, it passed. Now it's going to be... Uh, part of Denver law mm-hmm. <laughs> that that this has become a low priority and all of these other things that were in the legislation, the, the ballot initiative that they put forward, then they were accountable to do. So now then it was like, oh, now we got to, uh, you know, uh, the, the fruits that are being bore of this. And um, this all happened really quickly. And it's been interesting just to watch kind of the natural progression of this and, and to understand um, you know, the different relationships that shift and change based on needs and wants and, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the community, if, if they are, you know, as they are able to hold a lot of these things, transforms in ways that some, sometimes is not comfortable, but mm. usually is pretty necessary. Mm. Uh, and then to continue to see the new fruits that come out of these networks, right? And that would so be, that'd be an amazing experiment. I sorry, I just want to name this and get this out there. But um, uh, so there. What about like a, a neighborhood healing experience where an entire neighborhood gets together, where maybe there's been a lot of gang violence, things like that happening, okay. and then they all communally take a psychedelic, you know, and have this mass healing uh, experience together, facilitated by you know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I know that's that would cost so much money to do and be insane to get past, um, you know, IRBs. But just theoretically, like doing doing healing on communal scales like that, um, I think that could be really powerful. Yeah. No. We'll we'll, we'll head towards some of those research projects, um, but I think we'll start on smaller scales. Yeah. And just like I think that uh, groups of veterans and so mm-hmm. veterans as a community is, of, of course, um, bringing more choice and um, treatments to, to that community is important. Um, I think the I VA just for that. totally like uh, didn't they just accept ketamine treatment? Uh, they, they're like paying for it more now often or more often. now. I don't know. That would be encouraging. I, yeah. I, would, I would hope to see that. But, I think I you know, that. so seeing. Yeah, uh, I'm getting a thumbs up. So, yes. Yeah. Um, they are accepting uh, coverage of that. But the uh, um, 
what I was going towards is like, you know, having group work with veterans mm-hmm. is, is an interesting angle, but I'm actually interested about having groups of veterans who were like in squads together mm-hmm. or, you know, that were actually uh, in battle together, whether they're in the same branch of military or not. You know, some of these events were, were you know, um, crossed branches. And so having, you know, the Marines and, you know, the, the, the people from the Army who were at some of these things experiencing these crazy traumas where lots of people died or whatever trauma was coming out, it would be interesting to have groups like that mm. do these healing experiences because it would be based around the same events. Whereas if you have mixed groups, it's mm-hmm. everybody dealing with different levels of things. And so mm-hmm. it would just be interesting uh, to see if there there was anything that was, you know, if, if you could be of more benefit honing in. And, you know, if we did have a tragedy like this, like let's say it's a school shooting mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, OK, no, this was mm-hmm. terrible. This person came in and terrorized the school, shot you all up. And so, OK, we're going to have the school come together and uh, we're going to hold, you know, have to look different and you know uh, but it would essentially be a, a ceremony to hold uh, with an altered state of consciousness um, mm. actually when you first asked the question I was like oh why don't you have people spin mm. just go out there like oh, sorry everybody at 4 o'clock yeah, go get dizzy together <laughs> and then talk it out but that one that medicine is, is yeah. you know definitely uh, uh, an altered state but it's more about the giggles I've always found yeah. the, this idea of like that, I mean, th- those are great examples of um, experiments for, like, to hone in on collective consciousness, right? Because if mm-hmm. you can collectively, I mean, because when, I don't know about you, but when I've gotten in rooms with, um, like, old high school buddies, right? Like, we're all back in the same space, you know? We're mm-hmm. sharing a collective consciousness in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Um, same with, like, getting veterans together who have been, you know, in the same battle. You get them together, they're sharing a state of consciousness um, in those moments and using, you know, um, the collective, doing a collective healing of that body of consciousness that's sort of like, like I'm a visual person too, so I'm imagining like this group of people enter this ballroom um, where there's going to be this ceremony and there's just this metaphysical cloud hanging over the, the group. But it's all the same cloud. It's like all these pieces of this collective experience that shattered apart when they went their own ways are now coming together and it's sort of manifesting over them or around them or something. And then the healing begins with the ceremony and they're all like in this massive collective consciousness Mm -hmm. space uh, container that's created just naturally by bringing these groups together. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that could be... It's interesting as you describe that though, because that's already what exists, right? Like, um, hanging out with, uh, you know, veteran friends or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, this experience, um, one of my friends is an army vet, got a chance to go and hang out with a couple of guys that he went to army ranger school with and then was deployed with. Right. Uh, I think they actually, I, I think they probably ended up doing cocaine and booze was probably <laughs> the drugs they were doing. I don't think, <laughs> I don't, and I'm not judging that. I, I'm, I'm nope. just being real about what they probably decided to do because uh, it was, you know, a fun time to get together and they, you know, had had that. But what was interesting is just being with people that experienced the same things was healing. They mm. described that as like, oh, I needed that. Oh, that, you know, I, I feel so much better now that I got to just hang with them or see them and know that they're doing all right. But like, yeah, that sense of camaraderie that was naturally built through their experiences, uh, returning to that same 
you know, like you're saying, this metaphysical cloud that was over it, that mm-hmm. also brought a sense of healing to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were they were better off. And even, you know, if it was like, you know, I know one of the guys was definitely dealing with a lot of depression. Um, yeah, just having it severe. But in the days following just being around some good buddies, wasn't the same, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it took a couple of days for the depression to come back on, you know? Um, but it is interesting that, you know, like just to talk about it, like at that level and then saying like, oh, well, so what if they invited in, um, you know, other drugs instead of, mm-hmm. instead of cocaine and booze, mm-hmm. what would it have looked like? And, you know, there's definitely documentaries out there. What's the, um, I forget the one I, I watched recently, I believe Matt, Matthew Call, uh, from, uh, Veterans for Natural Rights, uh, is in it. And I forget, um, his wife. Is it his wife or the other person? Yeah, it's his wife as well. Um, but yeah, these uh, veterans sharing their stories of, yeah, going down and doing these ceremonies um, and it just being such a, an amazing transformation for their lives, mm-hmm. right? And so if anything, if you're going away from any, like any message, we need to increase choice for people. Mm-hmm. And if someone says that, you know, taking a handful of mushrooms and hanging out with their buddies is healing, we need Who to are just, you to say it's we, not? Yeah, we need to believe them and yeah. say, oh, okay, cool. That's that's the way you experience mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're more of a panicky, <laughs> uh, anxiety-provoking mm-hmm. <laughs> experience to me. And that has its own medicinal values as mm-hmm. well. But, um, yeah, to just recognize that and increase the choice that people have because, uh, you know, it doesn't look like war's going anywhere. Uh, You're we're right. definitely going to have... Um, people coming back that have been impacted by those experiences. And I want the best for them. I want them to be able to return to any sense of normalcy that we can help, yeah. you know? And, and, and so seeing that is, you know, the, that, that, that's our gift back to them. Like, you know, thank you for keeping us safe here in this country so that we can, you know, keep going to campus and getting your PhD mm-hmm. or I can keep going to my office and seeing clients. That's all. Thank you to these uh, service members that are putting themselves out mm-hmm. there and whether that's here in the States or abroad. Um, that, yeah, no, if, if these treatments are beneficial for, for military and even police, you know, recognizing that police officers, firefighters, these people see very traumatic events and see very traumatic things. Uh, paramedics, EMTs, they're on the scene of, of violent mm-hmm. crashes. And if, if some ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and, and, and dosing them up with a lozenge and then letting them talk through the week's events helps them, you know, not just drink their way through the weekend... I think we should make that available, right? Like, uh, yeah, we need to I agree. increase that option and choice. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, sorry, I just had I I had something that was there and then it was gone. Uh, yep, the state of the mind. Um, okay, so I want to just switch gears into what you brought today. Is this related to what we've been talking about too? Uh, yeah, the no, book? I talked a little bit about emergent okay, strategy. Okay. Um, that one. The other one that I really thought you would dig, A Moral Defense of Recreational Drug Use. Oh, nice. Yeah. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. That's that looks nice. Okay. It's, it does a wonderful job of actually, um, you know, first off, breaking down how, how we've even decided um, that society can make moral judgments for others. Yeah. Uh, deciding on, you know, what's prudent, what's right. not. And so, uh, yeah, really coming down to this piece of like, and drugs probably are not the worst thing that people could right. be doing. So why, why right. are we 
prohibit them from doing so. Yeah, I do remember what I was going to say, though, um, about bringing veterans together and how just bringing people together has a collective healing. Um, I I was once uh, contracted for this organization that's no more. It was called Walton's Warriors, um, and it was a peer support um, group. So we recruited from the larger organization that is still around called Project Sanctuary. So people can go out there and check that out. Um, But this group, Walton's Warriors, was focused on taking graduates from the Project Sanctuary curriculum, bringing them into a new space. Um, So they were were seasoned vets of of the program. And uh, they had me develop a curriculum for these vets around – providing peer support to their fellow veterans who are suicidal, right? Mm-hmm. So so our mission was to, like, start reducing the 22 deaths per day that happen uh, with veterans. It's probably even higher now. Um, but it, w- it was so good to, you know, go on retreats with these guys and teach them these skills and, and you know, practice with them. And then they'd come away from the training, you know, week-long training, never met the, each other before, but went through this training together. And then all of a sudden, they were like a band of brothers, you know. Um, I'm still friends with them on social media. They have their own support groups that have gone beyond the program in and of itself. And I don't even know what the count is now, but they continue to do that work with their fellow vets just on their own. And we continue to save lives like through this ripple effect even though we couldn't get any more funding for uh continuance of the program Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but just bringing these guys together in the same space and allowing them to connect on that level um provided so much healing for them too because they came from spots of suicidality and Mm -hmm. and then now they wanted to you know get back and and help others using this you know peer support model that seems pretty effective at, at spreading the, these little tentacles through society to, you know, provide support that's there, but is maybe not organized yet, mm-hmm. you know? And so I want to get back to no society, right? Um, so thank you for sharing about the right to try. I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. I still don't know about the history of NOAC. So like, was that the, the first major issue that NOAC kind of jumped on or what are the origins of the NOAC society? How did it, how did it come okay. to be? Yeah. Um, well, so in, in, in some strange way, uh, I had talked about wanting to start a nonprofit from the time I was like a teenager all the way through. So really? there's, there's some route that, I, uh, probably goes back that far. Um, I volunteered with dance safe in like 2000 to 2002. Uh, that was my first experience with like nonprofits and harm reduction and you know, Dan Safe is still doing wonderful work. Uh, they're also doing donations for a big campaign to get some big scientific equipment. So a little mm-hmm. plug for that. Nice. If you want to donate. Um, but yeah, so with the NOAC Society, uh, got caught up with a strange crew of people in Boulder, Colorado doing pirate radio in the late 2000s. It was 2008 or so. Uh, there was a gentleman, um, went by the name of Knox Harrington. I believe that's actually a big Lebowski character, I think. But uh, that was his pirate name. Um, he used to come in. He'd, he'd play a lot of play a lot of Fish, Grateful Dead, uh, even different things like lots of jam band kind of stuff. But was into uh, obscure stuff as well. Like he'd get into metal or hip hop. He was really eclectic. It was kind of fun. Um, did a radio show for a couple of years. Um, his name actually is Daryl Nowak. And uh, he passed away in 2015. Um, so uh, NOAC is uh, an honorarium to him. Um, it's a, an honorarium to his name. Uh, 
he was very oriented towards the community. Um, like I said, very eclectic music interest, but also interest in the community. So he, uh, you know, was active with his kids at school and their different groups. So he was a Boy Scout leader. He was uh, also, I mean, he just, he did so many different things. Um, but he really, you know, in the, in the pirate radio days, one thing that came across was he was very libertarian when it came to drug use and stuff. And was just like, mm. you know, it's ridiculous that we don't allow people just to alter their consciousness. You know, if, uh, if people, you know, people want to, you know, go tour with fish and be doing whippets all the time, you know, getting high on mushrooms and molly or whatever, you know, like, so what, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, uh, so just kind of coming from that point of view of just like, you know, this, this libertarian idea of it. So anyway, um, Kind of a, a a nod to uh, Daryl Nowak, but yeah, that's the namesake. Um, as far as the folks uh, in organizing it, um, we started out. Uh, we were organizing down in Boulder, doing festival harm reduction. Um, we had volunteered alongside uh, Groove Medical, um, and so we were kind of providing. Uh, uh, support, like mental health support to people who are in crisis. And so we did a lot of work down at some of the festivals, Arise, Sonic Bloom. Um, but just uh, kind of being there uh, as an adjunct to what the paramedics were offering. And so uh, a lot of it was just sitting and doing harm reduction stuff with people. I actually dealt with a lot of drunk people. There were people that were just too drunk and dehydrated um, and uh, then you would also see people who had taken, uh, you know, uh, either a wild combination of drugs or too much of one drug or this or that. And so it was coming from the harm reduction. But um, really in that work, too, we were seeing things like uh, I know at Sonic Bloom, we saw a woman who um, she had left her house without her medication. And I forget what medication it was. It was a psych med and uh, knew that there were severe consequences of, of just stopping taking it right and so instead of you know leaving the festival sonic bloom is also held like four hours south of denver or something Mm. like that i mean it's it's really far south and so this woman had traveled all this way to come to this festival didn't have her meds um knew that she was going to start experiencing these withdrawal effects and so then decided the best idea for her was to pursue other drugs for the weekend right Mm. and so she had gone and sought out uh, i think at one point i had seen her on a cross of ketamine with, I know she, I forget what else she, she she got into all sorts of stuff that weekend. So we saw she was she was mm, that's my co-host <laughs> quite. Uh, she was frequenting the med tent as we would say. Um, but that it was yeah it was uh, it was all of her responding to this like detoxing from her psych meds that were prescribed and so that really entered into our awareness as we were organizing and we were like well we really need to level the playing field. And so what would it look like to make an organization that's, you know, wanted to help communities build right relationship with drugs and medicines, right? And that it's not just um, the substances that we're worried about. We also need to worry about our relationships with each other, right? And so, um, yeah, we kind of went from doing festival work uh, into exploring different ways that we could help um, inform and educate the community about different things. And so doing community speaker series, um, really getting that out there and that's evolved into our psychedelic professionals meetup. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that piece is kind of saying, um, we recognize, 
that you know the, the student groups at universities around psychedelics were kind of holding a certain piece of uh, of the dialogue and that's been great that's been the grassroots organizing on university campuses awesome they need to keep doing that um you know maps arrowid uh these these big organizations have been around for a long time they need to keep doing what they were doing and uh noac was kind of a response to saying like and we need something more local um, that really is addressing the needs of us here in the community, right? And so, yeah, that's been one of the great things, you know, the right to try talk. Um, and then, like I said, these meetups where we're having different speakers come out and just talk about uh, the way these things are being used today. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's the research aspect with some of them that are only allowed in research practices or, you know, the, the ketamine-assisted psychotherapist coming out. And, um, yeah, so got a couple of those events actually coming up. That I'd mentioned those. Yeah, by all means. <laughs> and for the listeners, you know, those professional meetups are freaking awesome. I try and go to as many as I can, uh, at least here locally, here in Fort Collins. Um, but they're, you know, they're in Denver and Boulder and any other locations right now? Denver, Boulder, and Fort Collins. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I named them all. But um, yeah, they're fantastic. If you guys have questions about any of these substances, uh, you know, and you don't want to take my word for it because, you know, God forbid, I, you know, but go go to these meetings. And there's a wide range of people, um, both professional and non-professional, with a wide range of experience that are more than happy to answer whatever questions you may have based on, you know, their own experience. Uh, because we're all non-experts, but we're also experts in our own consciousness. So definitely go to some of these. And you got some dates up? Yeah, I do. And um, so to hopefully increase the longevity of how long it's usable as well, uh, the the Mercury Cafe in Denver, we've been hosting our psychedelic professionals meetups on the second Thursday of the month. Yeah, is typically how it's shown up. So January 9th, uh, we're having one. Max Montrose come out talking about cacti. And uh, yeah, he's a wonderful human being. If you haven't met Max, you got to come out and see what he's got going. Um at the Wolverine Farm and Letterpress uh, here in Fort Collins, we are doing the second Tuesday mm-hmm. of the month. And so January 14th and then February 11th, those are coming up. Uh, and the and, times for these events, too? Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, the the Mercury Cafe, uh, we start those around 7 p.m. So about 6.45, we kind of start filtering in, and 7 p.m. we start for those. Uh, here in Fort Collins, uh, we start around 6.30 and so let's see the January 14th talk. I don't actually have the information on that one. So, well, um, if people want to, um, find yeah. the NOAC society, go ahead with the web yeah, address. Uh, so, uh, the org. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at the NOAC society. Um, and then the, uh, yeah, the Boulder meetup, we have that at the upslope brewing company out, um, in uh, East Boulder, and uh, that one's on Sundays, and that one's usually, that one starts at 5 p.m. Nice. So if anybody's interested, definitely check those out. Again, if you have more questions, too, that's also uh, a good place to get answers uh, from a very friendly community. Um, Okay, last question I have for you, Um, and this one is another just out-of-the-park question that, um, you know, I have particular interest in asking you because... um, you know, I only have my own experience, and uh, in my observation and in my opinion, you know, I think you have a, a wide range of experience with consciousness uh, in in all 
sorts of states. Um, and so I want to ask you, um, how far have you pushed your mind? Like how far have you taken it? Uh, and you don't have to get into specifics if you don't want to, but um, it's just an interesting question to me because I'm always wondering, you know, I, I always feel like there's more um, to potentiate from my own mind, you know, like, mm. like um, even when, you know, I was going through my bouts with alcoholism, you know, like the purpose of my drinking was to push it as far as I possibly could. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And that was not, that was not a good one to go with. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, and I've, I've reformed my relationship with that, but for you, um, how far have you pushed your mind like, is there a formative experience or, or something that, that stands out? Like, wow, that was really far. Like, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take the time to slaughter a Hunter S. Thompson quote and mm -hmm. say those, those who know there's a line have crossed it. And uh, the first time a friend showed me how to hyperventilate and then cut off circulation to my head and make me pass out, I think was probably one of the more formative moments. Uh, I, that, those, those are the first times I experienced what is described in the research as the, I believe it's the emergent experience. Um, this sense of uh, realizing I am here right now, this is actually happening, but it's yeah. like that sense of everything emerging right now and that emerging in a, you know, not just like a, oh yeah, here, I'm here right now in this chair in a way more uh, visceral way, yeah, existential, yeah. oh shit kind uh -huh. of way. Um, and so that was, that was my first experience that I uh, remember purposely inducing it was probably those. And yeah, we were reckless kids. I think I was probably seven or eight. Actually, when I learned that, I, you know, and I, I, I can't recommend that people do it. And I know that people are doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just something that kids show each other. It's the same mm -hmm. as like rolling down hills. I used to love doing that. Spinning in circles. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I've, I've recently like seen the hill <laughs> that I used to roll down. Y yeah. I wouldn't walk down the thing nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny to think that that was, I would roll from top to bottom over and over and over again. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep exploring, keep pushing it. And for the listeners out there too, you know, um, for now anyway, parts of exploring your consciousness are still legal. So, um, I always encourage all of you guys to go out there and explore your own consciousness. It's only going to do you uh, good. But if you have any struggles along the way, there are professionals out there as well, as well as uh, social groups um, that can help uh, you guys get through some of those blockages in your own um, struggles. So we all have them. Um, it's time to dismantle the stigma around um, mental issues. So... We all have them. Um, it's and it's time that we, you know, start feeling better about seeking treatment. So um, check out the uh, the YouTube webpage as well as the comments below the podcast. I'm going to list all the websites that Rob gave me today. Um, any parting thoughts? I want to thank you again for coming on the show. It's been amazing. I feel like we've been riffing back and forth pretty effortlessly, and that's always a pleasure for me because I get super nervous still doing these things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I guess uh, I really do believe in this sense of like, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Mm. If you have an idea or if you have the spark of curiosity about how you could, you know, benefit the community, do it. Um, really, you know, uh, to, to incorporate the NOAC Society, uh, it was 50 bucks to the state. We paid that in 2017. I wouldn't have guessed all of the things that we've done since then and the way that we have generated community. And it's all just come from a passion of us just saying, like, oh, hey, we want to do something fun. And, you know, uh, we've learned a lot in that. Uh, a lot of relationships have changed and transformed, and we're going to keep going and keep doing it. But if it hadn't started with that piece of just like, oh, we want to do something, let's not wait for anybody else mm-hmm. to tell us we can you just mm-hmm. said, okay. Ask right, for like, forgiveness, uh, yeah. not permission. And luckily, we haven't had to do any of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You just got you, you got to go out and do it. Um, whether it's a, starting a small business and and making something, or you know, being of the the public benefit and being a nonprofit, just go yeah. do it. Go and do yeah, it. I think those are the two secrets of manifestation: is visualizing the objective, right? Having a vision for it, and then. Do something about it. Action. <laughs> yeah. You can't just sit on your couch. So um, more words of wisdom for all you listeners out there. Until next time, this is Shane signing off. Thanks again, Rob, for being here. Yeah, cheers. Appreciate Thank it. you. And uh, now we're going to go eat some dinner that my wife cooked. Happy Peace. Man, what an amazing show. Thank you, Rob, for being on the show. That was awesome. Always great to have you here and hope to have you back on in the future. Folks, go check out uh, the thenowaxsociety.org and go check out what uh, Rob is doing for them as well as uh, for the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute here in Fort Collins. Um, go check out those websites. Um, also go check out Dance Safe. That's dancesafe.org. No spaces. Um, I think that was mentioned on the podcast and what that's all about. Um, yeah, guys. Amazing to have you here. Thank you so much. Um, please like and share our stuff. Go out and tell your friends and family. And by all means, don't take anything we have to say on here to be absolute truth okay you guys need to go experience some of these things yourself um but if you have contention with something that we say on the show that's awesome use that and go out and try and test your theory to make sure um that uh, you're right and that we're wrong and then let us know so we can start to uh, change our own behavior and our own uh, ways of thinking so until next time folks this has been shane lamaster with conversations with the mind and we will catch you on the flip side.
Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored, as always, by MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. Come check us out. We're an eclectic counseling company providing both mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, and military individuals through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement through mental training, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We're available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. Thank you for listening to the show, and please go check us out, mindops.com and the MindOps YouTube page.